This is James Eklund coming to you from the North Sky Ranch on the banks of mighty Plateau Creek. You're listening to the Water Values Podcast. Well, thanks again for the legendary open, James. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. And by Trenex, trust in what's next. This is session 234. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a great show for you today. Dr. Spencer Tainter, the head of school for St. Mark's Episcopal School and Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, comes to on to discuss an innovative program at St. Mark's called C-Lab. Spencer's enthusiasm, uh, you're going to find out, is contagious, and you're going to really enjoy hearing Spencer not only describe C-Lab, but hear the backstory on the motivation to start C-Lab and the lessons learned along the way. Both of those are phenomenal stories and apply outside of C-Lab as well. Plus, uh, Spencer has a very inspirational message about water quality, and you want to listen to it because Spencer just does a phenomenal job. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our terrific sponsors at the top of the show, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, and Trinex are all terrific sponsors, and that is a great collection of impactful companies as well. They've decided to support water industry education and thought leadership through the sponsorship, so thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to do me a favor, if you would, please, if you work for or with any of those sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know that you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on just takes a minute. It would be greatly appreciated and it'll help others find out about the podcast. And also please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Well, now it's time for the main event, the interview with Dr. Spencer Tainer. So let's get that water flowing. Hello and welcome to another episode of the water values podcast. Dr. Tainer, it's great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, David. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate being able to share what we uh, have done here at St. Mark's and looking forward to um, our conversation. Absolutely. Uh, so to, to start off, what are you doing down at St. Mark's? Uh, you know, before we get into that question, let's let's ask you about your background. You know, tell us who you are and how you how you came to the be interested in the water sector. Sure. So you know, I think it's, you know, first of all, I grew up in South Florida and I grew up fortunate enough spending a lot of time on the waterways, uh, both in South Florida as well as the West Coast of Florida as well. And so, um, and I was fortunate enough that my dad um, was an enthusiast as well. 
So we did a lot of fishing. We did a lot of diving, um, you know, and, you know, grew up, I think, in, you know, a, a very water focused environment in that sense. And I think where my interest in Sea Lab that we'll talk to um, in, in a few minutes and the water quality and understanding water quality came from watching, you know, Biscayne Bay, which is really was my backyard, you know slowly deteriorate, um, both from the turtle grasses to um, sea life to different things. And as I was growing up and as I became an adult and was hearing all this, it kept tying back to water quality, water quality um, of the water being dispensed in our yards through fertilizers and so forth, um, and how that was breaking down into our watershed system. When we look at deterioration of pipes, um, when we look at um, overall uh, septic tanks here in Florida and, and they're uh, leaking into this system. So it was a culmination of hearing about all these sort of things that was affecting, you know, something I love dearly and and wanted to see uh, continue to thrive. And my father, um, while he wasn't you know, necessarily into water quality or those sort of things, he had a passion for the marine life. And um, later on in his life, um, spent some time at the government level, local government level, you know, trying to protect, you know, certain areas. And I think I took inspiration from him. So, you know, certainly, you know, I kind of grew up with it and really understanding the effect and the long-term effect that, you know, our water quality and what we put into our water really does make a difference, you know, from a longitudinal point of view, really got me excited about doing this project for St. Mark's and, and bringing that sort of knowledge to not only our kids, but to hopefully future generations. Excellent. Excellent. So you mentioned C-Lab. What, what exactly is C-Lab for those of us who are? So C-Lab, yeah. Thank you for asking, David. C-Lab is, is an incredible project. Um, you know, First, it's the first of its kind. It is one in which when we started thinking about it, I'm going to dive a little bit into the history here. Um, so bear with me just for a second, which is, you know, when I came back to Florida as a head of school, I was um, doing an interim position in Milwaukee and, you know, got exposed to a lot of the water efforts in Milwaukee and in that area. Um, and so when I came back to Florida and I was, you know, leading St. Mark's, one of the first things I did was really sit back and say, you know, what are some of the community challenges that the greater Fort Lauderdale and maybe even beyond are having right now? And, you know, we sat in some chamber meetings with um, some businessmen and women and and trying to figure out what they were thinking in regards to uh, their own companies and so forth. And really where it came down to was they started really talking about sea level rise. They started talking about um, you know, microplastics and forever chemicals that were in the waterways and so forth. Um, and it really said to me, okay, great. Here is our community challenge. This is something that, you know, it's not going to be solved today. It's not going to be solved tomorrow, but it's going to take generations to really get this problem under control. So how do we get students? How do we get young people connected with the researchers? How do we get young people connected with the problems so that they can start thinking about solutions? And what I say always is, you know, I don't want our kids or the future generations just to be solution thinkers. I want to be solution makers, you know, out of them. And so we 
sat back and we really thought about, okay, what could we do? And we're fortunate enough as a school that we've got um, about 700 linear feet of seawall that sits on the middle river uh, here in Fort Lauderdale. And it's a natural river that flows right out into the intercoastal. So it's brackish. We get not only, uh, you know, waters coming through the, the stormwater system, but we also um, have seawater coming in through natural tides. You know, so there's a lot of water movement in that area. We have manatees that swim by and we've got you know, different wildlife and things like that. So it really is this incredible zone um, for our kids to do some research and see the effects of water and water quality that has on their natural backyard environment. And, you know, so we teamed up with Brazaga Engineering, uh, which was this young engineering firm that was working on sea level rise and the effects of um, saltwater intrusion and so forth into our water systems. And, you know, what we boiled down to was we needed a realistic, experiential learning environment for our kids in order to do this type of research and do this type of natural investigation. And thus was born C-Lab. And at its simplest form, C-Lab is a man-made tidal pool that sits behind our seawall. It's about 20 feet by 20 feet. So imagine about a garage, you know, uh, square footage worth of tidal pool right behind our seawall that opens up to the middle river and we get inflows and outflows. And it allows, we have a sunken dock in it that allows our kids to go down onto that dock, put on some waders, get into the water, start testing you know, different things that are in the water and really start tackling you know, some of the bigger problems around water quality. That is really what C-Lab is. Okay, great. So how do, how do you get involved with it? Well, you know, I think, you know, first of all, um, you know, whether we're partnering and we have a couple different partnerships. Number one is uh, we're partnered with uh, Nova Southeastern University, NSU's Oceanographic Institute, um, as well as the University of Miami Erasmus School. So we have two leading researchers in water quality and oceanographic um, centers working with us in regards to you know, the C-Lab, the curriculum and everything like that. First and foremost, number one is, you know, our kids are involved in it who go to the school. They are the backbone of helping researchers at these two oceanographic institutes, you know, study microplastics and, and identify forever chemicals that are in the waterway. You know, a lot of times the major researchers, they have their particular research um, spots that they collect information from. So, so, for example, let's use NSU's Oceanographic Institute. They collect most of their information, uh, water quality information right out of the port Everglades, right there um, where the oceanographic is centered. But they have nothing upriver to do comparison studies. So that's where St. Mark's is coming in. So we're working with graduate students as well as researchers, as well as our students, and collecting this information. We also are working with a lot of other different schools as well. So, you know, C-Lab is not just like I say, our own private little toy. This is something that we want other schools to come in and get involved. So if in individuals are interested in getting involved and understanding what C-Lab's out, wants to come visit us, I would say reach out to us. We've got a number of different opportunities and are looking for individuals to help us, looking for university partners as we continue, um, as well as other schools to come in and do their own lab work um, here at C-Lab. So there's a variety of different ways. What I'd say, just reach out. Yeah, terrific. So, you know, as, as you were going along, when I first started hearing about it, I, I got the sense it was for, let's say, 
uh, elementary, middle school age kids, but you're talking about graduate, you know, university and graduate students. So what, what kind of age ranges? I mean, is it all age ranges? I'm just kind of curious. What- yeah. So it's really from, uh, we start, um, at St. Mark's, we start usually in about kindergarten and we move up now, again, they're not doing graduate level research, but what they are doing is they're building those scientific skills so that when they get into about the third or fourth grade, then we can really introduce them to some of those microscopes and looking at identifying, let's take microplastics, for example, they can start identifying microplastics on the screen. And what we do is we team up with the graduate students or the professors at these universities that are doing current research under that. And they may be wanting to know, you know, what is the density of microplastics within this river system? You know, and has that compared to the outflows at the port that go out to the Atlantic and, you know, or a lot of microplastics actually are coming in from the ocean and going upriver. So how does that concentration flow inward, you know, to our estuaries that are up the river and so forth, where we see, you know, manatees giving birth and we see uh, young fish stock. So in that sense, you know, they're collecting some of that data and using it. But, you know, for example, we have uh, businesses that are interested in giving back and want to know, you know, I may be a plastics producer um, in terms of a business and we want to conduct an individualized study about you know, how plastics are breaking down or what plastics are so that we can identify what plastics not to use um, in our plastic development. So, you know, we welcome businesses to come in and say, listen, we'd love to partner with you guys in some way to figure this out. Uh, We love the fact that we want to partner with other schools in the sense of, you know, both at the elementary level where the curriculum we're developing with NSU and University of Miami is not to replace the current state standards science curriculum, but it's to interweave it. So when you're talking about moon phases, it's really easy to then talk about tidal flows in and out. Well, you know, for a child who maybe lives inland and has never seen the effects of a tidal flow, now that classroom can book you know, uh, some time in our C lab, they can come and they can see that tidal flow. They get their hands dirty. And we know from an educational point of view, whether it be in graduate school, whether it be in elementary school or high school, when you give students experiences, when they get their hands wet, dirty, muddy, whatever you want to do, that learning curve skyrockets, their interest skyrockets. Um, And so when we bring in the fact that they're learning about water quality, now we're bringing awareness. And one of the things I like to talk about, you know, quite often, and when I talk about awareness is that we want to inspire our our students at the graduate level, even at the elementary level, um, to want to act and not sit back. You know, an example of that is, you know, Typically, when we talk about climate change, we're talking about icebergs melting. It is an issue. We know it's an issue. But it's very hard for even myself to wrap my head around what as an individual can I do to help, you know, not have the icebergs melting. Well, I try to do X, Y, and Z, but I still hear they're melting. So it's a very large and complicated problem. But if we take that problem, we break it down into a very small problem that's happening in our community. So for example, sea level rise, water coming up. I look across our canal, I see our neighbors, you know, the water goes over their uh, sea wall and starts to, you know, leach into their grasses and stuff like that, which by the way, all that fertilizer they put on their grasses then comes right back into the canal, you know, in regards to uh, water quality. And 
goes right down into our watershed. So, you know, in essence, how do I help that neighbor build an economical seawall? Because seawalls are just so expensive. And what we're trying to do is break down the problem so that people feel like they can do something rather than feeling helpless. And I think that's one of the things that I am most excited about in terms of getting other people involved is how do we help them realize that they really can do something and have an impact? Yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, you you've identified one of the big things about climate change is that we've grown so accustomed to um, we've grown so accustomed to expecting, you know, instant gratification that these things that are complicated problems and have a long horizon on, you know, seeing the solution. It's, it's really tough. And I think the way you're going about it is really good that you're, you're getting these kids passionate about it. Well, it's, you know, David, you're absolutely right. And it's about, you know, it's funny. What I say is, you know, what we don't realize is we're actually teaching kids um, and adults learned helplessness. So, you know, if I challenge them with a big enough problem, you know, and I come up with five solutions and every time I'm told it's not going to work, it's not going to work, not going to work. You know, imagine a kid, you know, and is trying to deal with these problems. And then when they become the leaders of our communities and you say, listen, we want to develop a, you know, a committee on water quality and we want to address this. And we go to a leader and we ask them, you know, their first response is going to be, well, what impact can I really have? And, and, and that started at a young age because we taught them that they can't. Rather, if we break down the problem to something simple, now, as I go back to that first comment I made, is we're teaching them to be solution makers. Even if some of their ideas never come to fruition, you know, maybe it's one, maybe it's two things that they can have an impact on. And they feel like, okay, hold on a second, I can make a difference. Then they're, then they're willing to lean in to the problem rather than lean out. And isn't that what we want? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so you've looked at, you've talked about some of the things you've done with elementary school kids, such as, you know, using microscopes to analyze the water. What are some of the other types of uh, immersive experiences? You know, you also mentioned plastics. What are some of the other type of immersive experiences that you're, you're cultivating with these uh, students? Yeah. So, a couple of different things, David. Um, number one is we're right now in the process of developing um, the identification and tools needed for forever chemicals in the water. Um, so we're looking at what are the chemical analysis we need to be doing. One of the other things we want to look at, and this is where we're in conversations with some of our university partners, is looking at also replanting um, or seeding. Uh, oysters in the Middle River environment. We know that oysters used to be there. There's still some there, but a lot of the beds uh, are gone. So we want to replant those for two reasons. Number one is it's going to improve the water quality of of the brackish water and, and the inflow and outflow. But the second thing is, you know, we can, especially on the forever chemical side, you know, we can take oysters and we can dissect them um, and look at how the concentrations of forever chemicals within the oysters. Um, it's a greater con concentration because they're the natural filters of that water. So we can see it faster and build it up quicker. And then we can trace those back to hopefully their sources. So that's one area that we're looking at in terms of, okay, how can our kids go out there 
and start planning oyster beds. Um, and then those oysters can be taken and harvested um, by our kids and given to the university partners to do their chemical analysis on. Some of the other things we're doing is as simple as looking at, um, you know, how do we use water and the flow of tidal water uh, for electricity, you know, and in addition to, you know, some of the other things we're doing is looking at, as, as I said, sea level rise and our, our kids are actually forming their own little seawalls in, in a, you know, a, a smaller example. And they're inserting them into the sea lab and they're testing how that tide is interacting with that seawall. But they're making it out of different materials. So and what they're doing is they're testing, well, how does that material leach into the water, you know, in you know, what are the um, positives and negatives of that type of seawall structure um, in our water environment? And then, um, you know, and again, I, I guess, you know, sky's the limit. Um, to be honest with you, we just opened up Sea Lab in October. Um, I will tell you that, you know, we led with about five different types of curriculums. We're in the process of developing about 10 more that really get the kids into this experience experiential learning environment um, and research. But um, you know, when we created this, and this was kind of the um, you know funny part of C-Lab was, you know, when we first went to the state and we first went to our partners and said, we're building this thing, we kind of got laughed at and they didn't understand what we were trying to do. In fact, um, I remember, you know, some state officials told us that we're in the environmental side, you know, are, are you building a boat ramp? And we said, no, we're not building a boat ramp. And then I had, um, you know, another uh, local official say, you're building a swimming pool. And I go, no, we're not building a swimming pool. You know, and then funny enough, my contractor that we hired to do the job look, first looked at the plans and said, you're building the biggest mosquito pit in South Florida, aren't you? <laughs> and we chuckled at it because we knew the potential, but no one, no one could grasp to a degree because it had never been done what we were trying to do. So now that it's built, the aha moment has arrived in which everybody is saying, wow, we can do this. We can do that. We can do, you know, we're looking at everything from young fish stock and what comes in and out of the tidal area. And is there a way to, instead of trying to oxygenate or um, improve the water quality in a bigger system, could you have micro systems that fish go in and out of um, to replenish you know their oxygen levels and and does can that have a quicker impact? So I, I think the potential of this is is large. Um, and so we're just you know scratching the surface about what we can do. But you know I gave you a couple examples of of things that we're working on right now. So uh, it's it's just really exciting to tell you the truth. Yeah, well I can tell. But I mean you you clearly have a passion for this. I mean it just comes through so so clearly uh, when you're speaking. Uh, what about you know. You mentioned boat ramp. Are you building a boat ramp? Is there any uh, prospect of getting kids kind of deeper into the water, so to speak, um, by, by getting them out on boats? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things we did, you know, um, and again, this project really started with it. And this is one of the things that, um, in fact, we have uh, just received a, a national award by uh, the National Business Officers Association uh, for innovative um, uh strategies and business practices. And, uh, and it was for C-Lab. And, and the reason they gave us that national award was because we had this 700 feet of seawall uh, that we knew we had to, had to raise because of sea level rise. And, and it had been, um, it, it had lived its, its life in terms of usefulness. And so 
part of C-Lab was challenging us to say, if we're going to be investing in this new seawall, what things can we do to elevate the learning of our kids? What things can we do to give back to our community? Um, and how can we really just add to the overall value of our community, um, our school community, and you know beyond? And so one of the things we did in addition to Sea Lab is we we also built a dock out back. You know, um, not a boat ramp, but a dock. <laughs> and um, you know, and the kids now can get out on uh, uh, paddle boards, can get out on kayaks. Um, we have a sailing program that the kids um, get introduced to sailing. Um, so all of that is helping us facilitate, like go back to the oyster seating, for example. Well, how are we going to plant oysters if we can't get the kids into the water? Well, the dock is going to help us facilitate that. One of the other things we're doing is we're in the process of identifying ways to um, use the dock to do some fish counts and look at, you know, NSU has asked us, hey, is there a, a thing that we can do um, in order to look at young fish stock within the river and compare it to the fish stocks that's coming out by the port? So we're looking right now at ways to utilize the different parts of the dock and the different um, uh, uh, boating facilities that we have uh, to get our kids out onto the water, get them immersed deeper, as you said, um, and really, you know, get their, I guess, get their whole feet wet, you know, get their, get everything wet um, and just dive into that marine environment. Cause I think the more they interact with it, the more passionate they'll be about finding solutions to some of the problems that we have. Great. So um, that, that sounds fantastic. L let me ask you this. So um, you, you've kind of identified some of the hurdles uh, for that you've, you know, cleared and getting C-Lab off the ground. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for, for other organizations that are encountering those hurdles? I mean, what kind of kept you going when you were, you were faced with, you know, the, the environmental agencies telling you that you're just, are you just building a boat ramp? So kind of curious what, what your take is on that. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the one thing is, you know, we hope that, C Lab is is an inspiration for other schools, other universities to really look at what their community challenges are and partner with your community in being part of solving those problems. You know, so for us, it was a natural fit to look at the waterway, to look at all the different things that were going on locally in Fort Lauderdale and C-Lab connected to all of those. So, you know, a lot of the hurdles we we came up against were, you know, officials who were trying to understand the project. But what we didn't have to battle was the fact that this concept of trying to tackle water quality and sea level rise those were things that they were passionate about, too, because they live in the community that we're serving. And so, you know, when we talk about our kids wanting to do research or wanting to be the problem solvers and helping in that arena, I think that there is enough people out there that are passionate about those things, but just don't know how to take that first step. And so when we come with that first step, you know, it's about finding that pathway forward, finding that win-win. Um, and sometimes you just have to be determined. Sometimes you just have to explain it again and again and again. Um, 
and and not just in the same way, but I would say keep keep turning that lens to to show the different angles of its impact. Sooner or later, that official, you're going to turn the lens enough, that official is going to have that aha moment themselves and is going to be able to be like, okay, now I understand what you're trying to achieve and how can I help you get there? Um, and so I think that's that's the key because, again, you're not trying to create something. Listen, you know, we could have come in and we could have said, you know, we want to build a, you know, a boat ramp because we want to be able to launch our, you know, jet skis for the kids because we're buying jet skis for all the kids. Not saying we had the money to do so, but certainly, you know, who doesn't love riding jet skis, right? Okay. So that's an area where, you know, there's no community impact. If I go to an official and, and I say, I want to build this, you know, they're wondering, okay, well, hold on a second. You know, what are the impact of jet skis on, on our community? You know, how, what are we putting into the water? Um, what about the noise? What about your neighbors that are going to be complaining? So right away, you're building a project that is is very um, – it, it's not community-oriented. It's actually very selfish. And I think that's where sometimes you run into the hurdles, you know, of working with community partners and working with city government. But if But if you identify those areas that you can collaborate on, the pathway to success is a lot easier. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it certainly is easier because people sooner or later will get what you're trying to do and they want to help. And I think naturally people want to help. People don't want their water quality to be poor. They don't want to, you know, um, see, you know, fish floating upside down in their, in their rivers. Um, they don't want to, to be limited by their interaction with water because the quality of the water is so poor because of leaching of sewage or whatever it might be. So naturally, people want to help. You just have to give them a good reason to help you. And I think that if you partner with them in the right ways, it's a lot easier. But I think that's the key. You know, going back to the question, you know, what is the key? Finding those common challenges that not only does your community have, but you have as well that you want to help solve. Spencer, that was awesome. You've, you talked a lot about, you know, overcoming those hurdles and, and, you know, what, what I think there's a lot that people can learn from overcoming those hurdles. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. How do you think C-Lab or what do you, what do you want C-Lab to do to inspire others or how, how can C-Lab inspire others to make a difference? Yeah, thank you, David. And, and and we do hope that C-Lab inspires others. C-Lab is, is a great project. C-Lab is a very unique project. Um, and I, I think it's going to have a very positive impact on Fort Lauderdale. And, and I think our hope, you know, as, as we look forward and, and we have conversations with other schools, we have conversations with other institutions that are wanting to make a positive impact with their communities. I think it's, I think that the outcomes are, are two specific outcomes. One is, I think is really to break down complex problems into smaller bits that we can empower people to want to face the challenge, find solutions, and not get bottled down by uh, the the weight of of the larger macro problem and, and and feel helpless. We want to create 
individuals that lean in, as I said. And I think the second thing is really to say whether it's water quality or anything else, everybody can have an impact on their community and find out what those challenges are for your community and really help find those solutions. You know, when we look at research, especially in schools, the majority of students who graduate high school from a certain area, I'll use Fort Lauderdale because that's where we are. Most of them, about 65 to 70% of those students after their undergraduate graduate studies will return to the area in which they grew up. They have a natural attraction to that area, uh, whether it be family or, or the climate, whatever it may be. So we're really educating and inspiring the future leaders of our community. So how do we as schools really give them the confidence and the resiliency in tackling challenging problems that they will come back and lean in and tackle these problems just as they did when they were kids? Because if we can do that, if we can educate our kids in that manner, these longitudinal problems that we are tackling that aren't going to go away tomorrow or the next day have a chance. And really that's what we're trying to to do is give our water, give our community, give our environment a chance, a chance to be something better tomorrow than it was today, but it won't happen overnight. And if we don't start educating our students in that way, if we don't empower them to want to lean in, then I'm afraid of what will happen in the future. And I think we'll continue to see a deterioration in our water, in our environment, and in our communities. But there's hope. And the hope is if we inspire, if we empower, it will make a difference. That's what we hope for. Very inspirational message. Absolutely. Uh, Spencer, you've been absolutely fantastic today. I've I've learned so much. I've I've been uh, very impressed with the... uh, the, the operation you've put together that is C-Lab. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you and more about the work of, C- of C-Lab, where can they go to get that information? Absolutely. So probably the easiest part is to look at our website, uh, www.stmarks.com. Um, so that's plural, stmarks.com. We've got a link on our academic uh, page that um, has C-Lab there. Um, my contact information there is as well, email and so forth. I'm also on LinkedIn as well as uh, we have some Facebook pages. So feel free to reach out to St. Mark's Episcopal School in Fort Lauderdale, Florida to get a hold of me. Uh, but you can also connect to me, uh, to me uh, through those different avenues as well. Awesome. Well, again, Spencer, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us about C-Lab. You're doing great work. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, David. Have a great week. Thanks, you too. Bye. Well, first things first, you need to go to the C-Lab website and watch that video. It's St. Mark's, completely spelled out, St. Mark's, S-A-I-N-T-M-A-R-K-S.com. Uh, and watch the video about C-Lab. Everything Spencer describes is just going to come alive for you watching that video. It's great stuff. Second, I loved Spencer's enthusiasm. We need more leaders like him, so I tip my hat to you, Spencer. 
Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for info and links on this episode. I, and I do link that uh, video in the show notes. Just Google the Water Values podcast and click the first link that comes up. That's our landing page on Bluefield Research's website. Again, Bluefield Research and the Water Values LLC are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, we get a home on the web through Bluefield Research. So thanks, thanks, Reese and company. Uh, If you still use Twitter, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our terrific sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values podcast include Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, and Trinex. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.